Good morning. I'm so glad to see you guys. If uh, any kiddos want to go into the to the kids ministry area, that's that's opening them up right now. Alexis is headed back there right now, so that's going to be a lot of fun. I am happy to see you. I got to admit, I was a little I was a little bummed out yesterday when we realized the rain was going to mess up our baptism service. I know we're already getting wet, right? What's a little rain going to hurt? Uh, you know, but if the creek is flooding, if the creek is flooding, Keith and I won't wash away. Some of the other folks we're baptizing might wash away, and that, that's not something that I wanted to. Uh, it is an exciting time that's coming up. Part of the reason we chose down in the rivers because of the baptism. Uh, so... Uh, um, it's really two weeks from now we're going to do that. The 24th, that's two weeks from today. Turns out there's maybe some more folks who can participate come the 24th. And, and after you hear the message today, you may decide you need to be one of those people. Have you picked up one of these lately? Have you seen one of these? If you haven't got one of these, get one somewhere. There's a few of them around. They're on some side tables and on this table back here. It tells about who we are and what we stand for. In the middle, you find... This section says, who is Recreate Church? And one of the things on the list is, we are a team of ministers and missionaries. Do you believe that you're a minister? Because you are. It's not just the professionals. It's not just some guy with a mic who is the minister. You are all ministers. If you're a believer... You're a missionary. That person beside you, that good-looking person right beside you. I see. Now, now look at the other person on the other side that you didn't look at first. And maybe apologize to them because they weren't the first one in your mind. I'm joking. I'm joking. Please. And uh, they're ministers. They're ministers. You're a minister. It's Ministry is not just for the professionals. Do you believe that God will put you in a certain place at a certain moment because he needs somebody there right then that maybe someone needs a person like you to encourage them, to talk to them, to pray for them. A few years ago, I was on my way home from work and I felt this nudge to stop at a certain grocery store. I didn't really need anything there and I, I really just wanted to go home. You know, the, you know those days. The day's like, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to stop anywhere on my way home. Well, I didn't really want to stop, but I felt this leading, this prompting that I needed to stop there. I don't have a better way to explain that. I wish I did. You know, like um, how Spider-Man has his spider sense, like his spidey sense. Maybe it's like a spirit sense, okay? Where it's like, hey, my spirit sense is tingling. I think I'm supposed to stop there. I can't really explain it better than that, except I'm like, I think the Lord would have me to stop there. And I pulled in the parking lot, wondering what all of this is about. Um, got out of the car, walked toward the entrance. And before I got to the door, a lady comes out. And I recognize her. And I know why her face is so downcast. Because this lady had lost her husband about two weeks before. It was a surprise thing. And she was really struggling to recover from that and i had had hadn't been able to see her since it happened and and she really needed just somebody to pray for her. 
You ever met somebody like that who just needed somebody who cared, somebody to pray? So I stood there out in front of the grocery store, and we had a little prayer meeting. Do you know you can have prayer meetings in front of the grocery store? You can have prayer meetings at the fuel pumps, not just when you see the prices, not just after you've filled up and realize, you know, I have just spent 80 bucks on fuel, what in the world? But you can pray for people. I guarantee you nobody needs prayer quite as much as someone who is pumping gas at current prices. But we had a prayer meeting right outside of that grocery store, and I'm like, okay, Lord, I guess that's why I'm here. So uh, I almost turned around and went to my car. Then it occurred to me, this particular grocery store was known to have Boston butts on sale from time to time. And now if anyone's listened to this and you don't know what that is, it's like a big chunk of pork. And a big, you know, if you are what you eat, I guess I'm a big chunk of pork, okay? Because uh, I love anything like that. Thank God for the new covenant, and we can eat bacon and ham and pork and pork chops. It's all good stuff. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go in there. Maybe we can make pulled pork. Uh, and I walk into the store, and I don't get past the front, the cash registers, when I run into this this guy that I know. And... He like, starts talking to me almost before I get to him, and he had all these health struggles. I, didn't, I hadn't heard about that. I, didn't, I knew him. It's been a while since I've seen him, and he starts telling me about all the things that he's been going through and, and really struggling. I'm like, man, let me pray for you. So there by the registers, we, we had another little prayer meeting, and uh, I'm like, okay, Lord, hey, that was cool. Two for one. Two for one. Now if only Boston Butts are on sale, we're in business. So I walk about three steps. I do get past the cash registers at this point. And I see this young lady that I know who used to come to the church where I was pastoring at the time. Well, now and then she would show up and she's like, oh my goodness, Michael, I got to tell you, we just had a fire. You know, we lost everything in a fire. And it was, oh man, it was rough. And, and I talked to her for a bit and they, they had their needs met, thankfully, but it's just the, the devastation of it all. You know, they had the, the material needs were met, but... The emotional needs were just big time right then. And I'm like, okay, hey, let's talk about that. Let's pray. And, um, and then I go from there. And, and then I walk into the aisle. And here's another lady, an older lady. And she's like, Pastor Michael, because she knew me. Pastor Michael, I need you to pray for my grandson. He's really struggling in school. He's having some bad behavior problems and struggling with grades. And so we had a prayer meeting there in front of the Tylenol. And, and I'm like thinking, Lord, Lord, if, if I hadn't obeyed that little nudge you gave to my heart, if uh, I hadn't listened to the spirit sense that was starting to tingle, then I wouldn't have got an opportunity to do that. And then I walked on down to the meat section and Boston butt was on sale. So we had pulled pork in the Shockley house that week and that just topped off everything but the point of the story is, God will put you places if you listen to that little nudge of the Spirit. That, that little, when the body spirit sense starts tingling a little bit, maybe there's something to that. Just slow down. You're probably not in as big a hurry as you think. Go ahead and slow down. And I, I emphasize, it's not just the professionals, y'all. It's not just the preacher guys who get these opportunities it's you too i want to tell you the story about uh, a guy who was not a professional he wasn't a professional preacher 
and yet God sent him to a certain place at a certain time because somebody needed some guidance from the Lord. Somebody needed some, some instru- instruction, some prayer. This man's name is Philip. Philip. It's a good, strong name, isn't it? Good name. Philip's a great name. Philip was not a preacher, exactly. He wasn't one of the apostles, anyway. He was a servant leader in the church at Jerusalem. Now, that doesn't make sense in our day, this idea of a servant leader. It seems more often in our times that leaders seem to exist to be served by others. But Jesus explained that in his kingdom, the opposite is true. If you want to be somebody in his kingdom, if you want to rise to a position of of leadership or influence, you do so by serving. You know, you serve other people and that's, that's how you're great in his kingdom. So this man was a servant leader. Sometimes the term deacon is used, but that's really what it means. He was a servant leader in the church in Jerusalem. So Philip was just doing what Philip did. He was serving people. He was sharing the good news about Jesus. And suddenly an angel appears to Philip. Now, if you've been around church, if you read the Bible much, it can seem like an angel appearing was something that happened all the time. But that's not really the case. It was a rare event. It, it flipped people out. The Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years and there's only so many times an angel appeared to people, so it's not like an everyday thing. It was like an every maybe several hundred years sort of thing. So when people saw an angel, it was really, really a shock. How would you like it if you were going about your business at your job and an angel suddenly appeared? Some of you work with the public. And you would probably say, I've never seen an angel appear but I'm pretty sure I've seen someone from the other team appear and they didn't have horns, but they had that one haircut that says, let's go ahead and get the manager now because it's the manager's going to be asked. I'm just joking. My wife had that haircut for a long time and she never asked for the manager. I don't think so. It's not really, it's not really the speak to the manager haircut, but I told her that often. Why? Because I need Jesus real bad y'all. Jesus is just about as bad as everybody else. So Philip is is doing his thing, and his angel shows up, and we don't get a tremendous amount of explanation. The angel tells him to go down the road towards Egypt. That's it. That's all. He doesn't say go down there for this purpose, or here's what's going to happen, or, or here's who you're going to meet. He is just told to go. And let me tell you, from firsthand experience, there will be times when the Holy Spirit of the Lord nudges you to go or to do, and you won't get a lot of explanation. I like all the explanations. I get that. When my kids ask, Dad, why? You know, I say, hey, go do this. And they want to say, why? I understand that. But I do have a rule, don't I, Elijah? You're, ask, you're allowed to ask why while you're getting up to do the thing. Then I'll, yeah, that's the, that's the deal. I, I get it. I get, I want to know why. But God will not always tell us why. It will become clear in time. So Philip goes to this place, and he has no idea what's about to happen. He did not know that God was going to make him a special part of history. He did not know that he was about to be the minister that God used in the most thorough 
detailed description of a baptism to be found in the New Testament. That's why we're here today, because originally we're supposed to have a baptism today. But it actually will get a two-week head start on this, so maybe if anybody else decides you want to be a part of the baptism, you got two weeks to think about what I'm about to talk about. I've been looking forward to this upcoming baptism for so long, and it, we get to fulfill one of the big commands that Jesus gave us, Matthew 28, 19. Sometimes it's called the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pretty soon, two weeks from now, we're going to baptize some brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a big, big deal. That's a big spiritual milestone. It's a declaration that you've become something new. Because baptism is such a central part of the, the Christian faith, and pretty much every group of Christians out there, every flavor of Christian you can find has some kind of version of baptism, you probably won't be surprised to learn that there's a lot of variety in the spiritual traditions surrounding bab- baptism. Um, one thing I love about Recreate Church, we got folks who are part of this who came out of all sorts of backgrounds, about every kind of church denomination that you can find, you know, about every flavor of Protestant and Catholic and, and um, folks who grew up without any religion at all. And you got to think, this message goes out all over the world. In the podcast, we have people who will grow up in some very different religion that following Jesus might be very risky for them. So, um, that, as good as that is, as a pastor, I can't assume that anybody's on the same page about anything, you know? People have different beliefs about baptism. So I have to stop and, hey, let's really talk about this. But it's a good opportunity because we need to get right back to the source. We can't take it for granted that any particular tradition has got it all figured out. We're just going to go to the Word of God. How about that? I like that. You know, that's one of our big things. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and it is our God, and we go by that. So we're going to see here the story of baptism. That is, this in Acts chapter 8 is the most thorough description of a baptism to be found in the Bible. So the place where the Lord sent Philip was the middle of nowhere. We live in a very, fairly rural area, and probably most of you don't have to go very far to get to a cow pasture. What if the Lord said to you, go out in the middle of a cow pasture and wait for something to happen? Okay, that sounds strange. It might have sounded just as strange to Philip to just go in the middle of this place where there's probably nobody around and just wait for something to happen. But the leading of the Lord is not without a purpose. Philip is on the side of this deserted highway and he hears the sound of hooves and the creaking of wheels. Around the corner appears this chariot. The man riding in the chariot is holding a scroll and he's apparently reading it, and his face just looks confused. At once, Philip knows this must be an important guy because back in Philip's day, normal people went everywhere on foot. Wealthy people might have a horse, but somebody in a chariot was somebody who was powerful, influential. Chariots were not common at all. So we know this guy is someone important. We're going to leave Philip standing on the side of the road 
looking at the guy coming, and let's go get in the chariot with him and talk about who he is. This man in the chariot is a man named, uh, we don't know his name, he's, he's just a man from Ethiopia. Ethiopia was an ancient kingdom that was situated kind of further north than the modern nation of Ethiopia is. The ancient Ethiopia would have included what is now part of Ethiopia, but it was a little farther north. It was kind of up against Egypt. Now, when you hear the word Ethiopia today, you don't associate it with prestige or power or wealth. You kind of think of Ethiopian folks having hard times, and that's certainly been the case for the last century or so. It's, it's been a tough place to live. But in ancient times, in the times of this story, Ethiopia was a very powerful, wealthy, influential kingdom. Another little fun fact about Ethiopia that you can use to win trivia night, that's where coffee came from. That's where coffee, coffee originated. And so I say thank you, Jesus, for Ethiopia. Anybody else get your day started with a little blessing of that great nation of Ethiopia every single day? I never drank coffee till I became a pastor and started keeping weird hours. And now I need two things to survive, coffee and Jesus. I guess I could live without coffee, couldn't live without Jesus, but you couldn't live with me without coffee. So I'm going to drink coffee, not for me, but for you guys, because I love you, because I care about you. And uh, my children breathe a sigh of relief. So this guy is from Ethiopia. Hey, by the way, they hadn't invented, they hadn't figured coffee out yet. Okay, that's, that doesn't happen until later. Ethiopia at this time was ruled by a series of queens who all went by the same title. Do you know how in ancient Egypt, the rulers, the kings of Egypt, they had a title that all of them went by even though they were different, and that title is Pharaoh. Pharaoh. And uh, the, the queens of Ethiopia had a title as well. It looks like the name Candace. That's what it looks like. But it's actually pronounced Candice. So no one, it sounds like candy cane. I know. I don't, but they hadn't invented candy canes yet either. So we're just way ahead of it. So this man in the chariot is a high official under the queen of Ethiopia. He's the royal treasurer. That's an important job. It'd be like the secretary of the treasury today. Very important, important big deal. Um, the scriptures tell us or describe him as being a eunuch. I don't want to dwell over long on the meaning of that word. The very literal meaning of that word is that this man has been surgically rendered incapable of reproducing. And it was much more invasive than the surgery that exists today. But it was not necessarily the case. Why is that so funny, Duncan? Why are you laughing about that? I am dancing right around. Do you really want me to give a description? Because I do not want to give one. Anyway, you can follow it. You can follow me there. So, but uh, it may not necessarily be the case because in the ancient world, sometimes all high government officials were called eunuchs whether or not they had been subjected to this surgical procedure. Most famous eunuch in the Bible? Probably Daniel. Do you remember that from our Daniel study? Probably the case with him. Anyway. So, cool guy. I'm hoping for this, for this Ethiopian's sake, I'm hoping that it's the latter, that it's just in terminology only. But he was an important, powerful 
fella. I think I'll just call him the treasurer. I'd hate to be referred to by, uh, I'd hate to be known by the most unfortunate surgery I ever had. So I'm just going to call him the surgery, the, the, the treasurer or the Ethiopian man. So what is such an important guy doing so far from home? Well, as it turns out, he was returning from a religious pilgrimage. He had gone to Jerusalem on a religious pilgrimage, and now he's coming back. Hold on. Why is a guy from Ethiopia making a religious pilgrimage to Jerusalem? Good question. He would have grown up in the Ethiopian religion. I don't know a whole lot about it, but it was very similar to like Egyptian mythology, you know, where they have the human beings with like the head of an animal. I think the big one was like a head of a lion. So, I mean, that's kind of interesting. And yet this man, somewhere along the way, departed from the religion of his ancestors and learned about this new God who was very different. This God who could not be described in terms of animal or even of man. This God who, who calls people to holiness and redemption. This God who rejects human sacrifice and instead sacrifices himself for humanity. Of course, the Ethiopian didn't know that part yet. And that's why God is sending Philip to meet him. Because the Ethiopian only knew one part of the story. He only knew the Old Testament. If you stop at the Old Testament, you don't get the whole story. You you. You get part of it, it's important, you can't miss it, but you got to get to Jesus, because that's, that's what we're here for, folks. If you get this same little brochure, and you look in the very top of this thing, in the, the who we are, Recreate Church is a community of life and love with the mission of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's what we're about, about moving closer to Jesus and helping people move closer to Jesus. So that's why Philip is there, he's helping this Ethiopian man grow closer to Jesus. This man from Ethiopia, he was a follower of the true God. We might call him a convert, though he may not have been a full convert because that would have required another surgery. And that's another topic for another time. <clears throat> anyway, he's on his way back from Ethiopia after visiting the temple in Jerusalem. While he's driving along the road, he is reading from this scroll, what we would know as the Old Testament book of Isaiah. So he's texting while driving. Yes. Maybe I didn't hear. He's texting while driving. Yes. Okay, I, I realize it's... Yay, you got it. So my own mother's like, we got it, son. It just wasn't that funny. <laughs> this is my mom. My mom, everybody. Yay. Guess what? She and my dad, who's not feeling well today, they celebrate 44 years of marriage this week. Yay. That's awesome. 44 years. That's amazing. So, um, this guy's reading this. Maybe he has a driver. I don't know. But I think the horse was driving at this point. The, the horse knows where he's going. The horse is just going down the road. So, let's read here in the book of Acts. This is Acts chapter 8, verses 32 and 33. I think we've had this up on the screen for just a minute. And uh, this is him quoting from the book of Isaiah. This is the man reading it, and he's, here it is. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. His, in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? 
for his life is taken from the earth. I'm going to stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, we need to know about this scripture too. Will you open our hearts and our minds to this Savior who was led like a sheep to the slaughter for us? In Jesus' name, amen. So the official from Ethiopia knows there must be a deeper meaning in this text, but he can't figure it out. Now that's where we get back to the guy on the side of the road. And what's his name? The guy that the Lord has sent down there to stand seemingly in the middle of nowhere. But here comes somebody for him to meet. And his name is Philip. Good, strong name. Good, strong biblical name. Philip is. So we see Philip. And um, the Holy Spirit nudges Philip. It's that spiritual spidey sense thing. You know, I, I don't know how to explain it better. And the Holy Spirit just nudges Philip to go to go talk to this guy. And so Philip jogs up alongside the chariot and he says, excuse me, sir, I see you're reading. Do you understand what you are reading? Now, this guy from Ethiopia, apparently some weirdo running out of the bushes <laughs> after his vehicle didn't bother him because he doesn't start out by saying, who are you and what do you want? He he says, well, how can I understand it unless there's someone to explain it to me? And if you understand it, jump up in the chariot with me and let's ride and let's talk. So that's exactly what happened. Philip jumped up in the chariot and the treasurer read that passage to him again. The one about... Uh, the one who was led like a sheep to the slaughter, the one who was silent before his executioners, the one who had clearly given himself for others. And the Ethiopian says, who is it talking about here? Is Isaiah talking about himself? Or is he talking about someone else? And you know Philip must have had a smile that went from ear to ear because he knew exactly. He got it now. This was the moment that the Holy Spirit had been leading him up to because this person that is being talked about in Isaiah is none other than the person that Philip wants to talk about the most. It's Jesus. You see, 600 years before Jesus was even born, the Lord gave this prophecy to Isaiah about the things that the Messiah would do. And, and Jesus has fulfilled these things. And Philip started at this very same passage of Scripture, the point of understanding that the Ethiopian did have, and he broadened his understanding and, and told him about Jesus and about his, his birth and his life and his teaching and his sacrificial death and, of course, about his resurrection and about salvation by grace through faith in Him. And somewhere along the way, He also told the Ethiopian about water baptism. Because about that time, riding along in the chariot, they came alongside a body of water, like a pool or maybe it was a creek. We don't have a lot of detail there. And the the Ethiopian treasure just skids the chariot to a halt. Said, whoa, 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 whoa. There's some water over here. Is there anything stopping me from being baptized? You talked about being baptized. Look, here's some water. Let's go have a baptism service. Philip's reply is very important. Let's look at Acts, 30, Acts 8, 36 and 37. 
Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then this very important question, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. There is something that must come before baptism. Belief. Belief must come first. If you're reading certain Bible translations, you might see that they leave out a verse or two here. And that that kind of bugs me, and we could get into the reasons for that. But the bottom line is, it doesn't change the message of the whole New Testament. Because you read the New Testament, and you see time and time again, every time someone is baptized, they have made a step of belief first. It's not, you get baptized, and then years later you believe. No, for baptism to occur, belief must be there first. Baptism doesn't make you a believer. It is a declaration that you have made the step of belief. It is, the decor- it is a public declaration of a private belief. Now, if the physical water in baptism actually washed away sins, even the sweet people that we're baptizing next week, Billy, you'd never catch a fish in front of your house again. They'd kill them all out. Because that's the way sin is. Sin is death. Even one sin is enough. Thankfully, we're not going to kill the fish in the creek down at Billy's house where we do the baptism because water, physical water, doesn't wash away sin. It is this washing in the water of baptism points to another washing that must come first. You see, water baptism comes after spirit baptism. Now, let me stop there and take a moment because some church groups have a different understanding of what spirit baptism means there's some places in the early chapters of the book of acts where the holy spirit comes upon people who have believed and uh, it is demonstrated in some in some pretty dramatic signs most notably people speaking in tongues and there's some groups say well that's what the baptism of the holy spirit is and that must be what that means but if you read on in the book of acts people still keep getting saved but you see less of the sign gifts happening and by the time you get to the end of the book of acts lots of people are getting saved and and almost nobody is manifesting these sign gifts with all respect to folks who believe differently i do want to say this The most convincing evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in you is not some outward demonstration like tongues. It is inward change in who you are. Because man, you can have some some outward thing, but if you don't change in your heart, man, nothing. It doesn't matter. The heart has to change. Who you are must change. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the same as the manifestation of a sign gift. It's the inward rebirth that happens when you trust in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. When you trust in Jesus, you're you're fundamentally changed. You're immersed in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in you. It's It's not like a rock dropped in a bucket of water. It's more like a wiffle ball. You know what a wiffle ball is? As I hated those things because I wanted to play with a real baseball. And 
You know, some of the kids in our neighborhood, they weren't as tough as the Shockley boys, and they wanted to play with like a tennis ball or a wiffle ball. And like, no, I want, if I can't get a concussion out of this, I'm not interested. <clears throat> but a wiffle ball is full of holes. If you put a wiffle ball and submerge a wiffle ball, the water's on the outside and on the inside. So you're heaven's little wiffle ball. <laughs> when you are saved, the Holy Spirit, you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what it means. And that water baptism is really is a picture of that. Water baptism doesn't save you. It's a, it's a picture of how you are saved. You're immersed in the Spirit. Um, the, message, the message that baptism, water baptism communicates is that, that the Holy Spirit baptism part has taken place. That you have made a conscious, personal decision to trust in Jesus, and as a result, you're in the Spirit, and the Spirit's in you. I need to say this very clearly, that anybody who cannot make a conscious, personal decision to trust in Jesus can't really be baptized. No, not according to biblical principles. I know, hey, there's some fine, wonderful folks out there who, who sprinkle babies and children for baptism. However, can a baby or a small child make a conscious, personal decision to trust in Jesus? Not really. They don't, they, don't, they don't really get it. They don't get enough. Maybe, you know, when they get a little bigger, you know, you'd be surprised at how much a pretty young kid can understand, but a baby can't. So I would say that, biblically speaking, you really need to be able to have understanding. Now, what we can't have is baby dedication. We do that. We'll do that all day. We just won't call it baptism. You know, the same thing goes for baptizing someone in the place of another person, like a stand-in. That You know, some groups practice that, a stand-in baptism. But that person needs to make their own decision to follow Jesus. To be baptized according to New Testament principles, you need to make a personal decision to trust Jesus, and you should have an understanding of what it means. You know, a lot of folks will truly, honestly get saved. They truly have believed. And, and someone says, hey, the next thing you do is get baptized. And they get baptized, but no one really explains what it means. You know, looking back, I, I wish I understood a little more. I was pretty young. And I bet someone tried to explain it all to me. But uh, it didn't sink in enough, I don't think. But if that's you, if you got baptized after you're saved, but you really didn't understand it, it might be something to think about. You know, being baptized... Again, not because you have to, but because you got more understanding now. Because your understanding is deeper. So let's get back to the story. Getting back to the story, um, Philip asked a question. Asked the question, you know, the, the, the Ethiopian said, well, what's stopping me from being baptized? Philip said, well, do you believe? And the Ethiopian said, yeah, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and the implications of all of that. And Philip could see everything's in place, so let's go to Acts 8.38, and we'll see here what happens. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Hey, that's an awesome moment, and it gives us a good picture of, of baptism here, how it was performed. Now, you notice they waited to perform the baptism until they got to a, a significant body of water. If I, I know there's groups that sprinkle and pour again, respectfully to anyone else's beliefs, folks can believe what they want. I'm just I'm just reading what I read here. If they were going to sprinkle, 
They didn't have to wait for a body, bottle, a body of water because they had a bottle of water. It's the desert. It's the Middle East. They were smart enough to carry a water skin with them. They had a container of water. If it was just sprinkling, you could just sprinkle them. No need to wait around. The only reason they would both need to go down into the water is if the bapti- he was going to put him under the water. So I believe that's what happened here. Philip baptized this man by putting him all the way under the water, and we call that baptism by immersion. With all respect to folks who, who do things differently, the simple reading of the Bible shows that they got down in the water, and they put him under the water, and they brought him back out of the water. And that's, that's pretty plain. Powerful symbolism there. You ever thought about that? You know, we, it, it is a symbol of... Our identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, when you trust in Jesus as Savior, the old person you are dies spiritually. It's no more. And you're raised to a new life. And as Jesus died and was buried and raised to a new life, the symbolism there is that in water baptism, we're buried under the water, raised to new life. It's a powerful, amazing thing. If you have trusted in Jesus, you are not who you used to be. Sometimes you'll look like that person you used to be. But that's not who you are. That old life is dead and buried. You have been raised. You have been born, reborn. You've been recreated. Water baptism is a public declaration that you've been made new in Jesus. The Ethiopian treasurer, he asked the question, well, what what hinders me from being baptized? And the answer was, if you believe, you may. In other words, nothing. He was ready. So what about about you? If you have not been baptized, and, and I would even suggest baptized by immersion, what hinders? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Who... Gave his life to free us from sin and, and give us a new life? Have you put your trust in him? Are you, are you ready to put your trust in him? Not just, now when I say trust, when I say believe, I don't mean to say, hey, yeah, okay, I've heard of that Jesus guy. You know, I, I watch The Chosen. You know, it's good, you know, pretty good stuff. I'm, I'm saying not just believing that Jesus is real or the stories about him are true, but believe in him the way a drowning person believes in a life preserver. Like clinging to Him for everything, for all your hope. If you've done that, and you haven't ever made the step of baptism, you've got the opportunity. And sometimes it, it can be a long time from the time a person is saved until they get around to being baptized, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But I'm so glad for this man that he took the plunge that day. And he went back to Ethiopia. And you know, to this day, there are a lot of believers in Ethiopia. You don't think of that as being a part of the world where there's Christians and churches, but there is there's quite a lot of Christians, quite a lot of believers in Ethiopia to this day. This man might have been the first. And who knows the influence that he had? Who knows the influence that you'll have on your family, on your circle of friends, if you make that decision to to obey the Lord in baptism? So you got two weeks to think it over. The Lord gave you two extra weeks to think this thing through. 
please get in touch with me. I've, I've referenced this brochure several times. My number is on the back of one of these. Make sure you get one. They're on the side tables, and there's some over here. Hey, Keith, would you set that box of brochures out front where people can see it, like set it on the front of the desk? Please, thank you. Make sure to grab one of those. Also, if you've never filled out whoop, one of these cards inside, this is a connection card. And if you have a prayer request or you would like to make, let us know that you're making some kind of decision, this is a place to do it. You can just drop it in one of these tall wooden boxes where folks drop their, their tithes and offerings. Hey, this message has been a little more like teachy than preachy today, but I hope you've got something out of it. We're going to wrap it up here with a word of prayer, and I'm going to let you go off to be sprinkled by this rain. And uh, a couple weeks from now, we'll maybe immerse some folks too. Heavenly Father, we love you so very much. Thank you for giving us baptism as a, as a way to declare our faith in you, declare this new life. God, I pray you will anoint us now. I pray that you'll be working in hearts. And if there's someone who's ready, it's time that you would move their hearts and they'll be a part of this baptism service in two weeks. Lord, we surrender it all to you. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being a part of the church service today. We'll send you out with just a little bit of music here if you'll start that post-service roll. God bless you. And remember, no matter your story, you're welcome, you're wanted, and you're loved. See you next time.